Okay, so the first thing I want you to look at is number one, because we are created in the image of God. And many of you have been in church a while. You've heard this, you know this, you believe this. Let me give you a couple of scripture references and you do not have to turn in those unless you would like to. I'm gonna read them very quickly for you, but I've got them for your notes. Genesis 1, 27, perhaps the most popular. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled faces talking to the church here, the believers in Jesus Christ, beholding the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Can I just push pause and can I just side note say, baby, from one degree to another. I want that to just wash over you with a lot of freedom to go, oh, a degree. Like one degree, like I am not perfect at all. I am not going to go from 70 degrees to 90 degrees overnight. God is transforming me in a degree. You can sometimes barely uh, feel the temperature change in the room of our heart. Because this life is a process and we are not there. We're not home. We have not arrived. We're just in the climb. And so it's, it's that degree. I love that verse. I just wanted to pause it, push pause there and, and make that note. And then uh, Colossians 3.10. Seeing that you've put off your old self, that is your old sinful nature, its practices, have put on your new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the what? After, that's you, after the image. Oh, you don't have your Bibles open. That was totally my fail. <laughs> Once you take a picture and hashtag Bible teacher fail. She just told us to say a word and we didn't even have our Bibles open. You were supposed to know it was image because that's the word we're on. <laughs> Which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. So let me just say, you and I and every human being on planet earth are created in the image of God. What does this mean? What does this mean? This means that every person, whether they are a Christian or not, have a God code within them. Every human being has been seen into eternity before the beginning of time. God has woven together intentionally, purposefully, and he has placed within them an ability to connect with who he is. This image, it is stronger even so than the Holy Spirit is able to draw into the Holy Spirit. It's able to draw to him. It's our God code. It's a, it's a spiritual DNA that I believe, based on his word, every human being has access to, that they're created and woven into, which then leads me to say, secondly, the movement that the image of God is in its very self communal. If every human has the image of God in them, then the character, that trait, the nature of who he is, is accessible in some way. Uh, well, you know, in some, and that's a conscience. That's that moral compass. I mean, that's, that's a person who is not a believer at all, perhaps rejects Jesus completely. 
That's a person knowing, even in that uh, mindset, that it's wrong to murder. And so the very nature of who God is, is a community. Do you see how I'm setting this up for belonging? It is togetherness. It is not just one, but many. He has put this very need into the depths of the human soul. Into humanity, to belong to one another, to need one another, to be a community. It is the most tense and awkward place. Because we so desperately do not want to need one another. The very desperation of our heart, the greatest desire of our very being, makes our skin crawl. Because the moment we ask for help or the moment we say that we could be wrong about her, him, us, God, is the very moment that our hands open and we are out of control. To be wrong, to say we've not arrived and we don't have this thing figured out. Is to make us, to place us in this very vulnerable, uncomfortable position. And so we fight against it as human beings. We run from it. The image of God is communal. Genesis 1, 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So in the very, very beginning, I'm just painting that picture to show you that you've already got God and the spirit. Uh, The same power acting in two different roles. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. If you're wondering why that's in there, it's because God is showing us a note into who he is. I'm a community and I will always push you toward a sense of belonging to one another and watch what he is about to do. Because what is he about to do in the entire Old Testament? He is about to take a group of people. A group of people that are chosen and called and absolute failures. Absolute idiots, actually. And he is about to take them as a chosen race into the wilderness Where they will stumble all over each other. Many of them killed and die off. Where they will disobey and rebel in some of the darkest ways. But they will do it millions upon millions. They will do it together. They will journey that course together. They will need one another and they will enter the promised land together. I think that is a beautiful picture of God ushering into, through Jesus, the church age. So let me bring us fast forward into that place, Luke 3.22. And when you show up in Luke 3.22, here's the verse. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. You have all three, the community of God working collectively together to show us who he is by nature. 
You have God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus the Son. In this beautiful moment where Jesus is baptized, John the Baptist has been leading the way. And when you show up in Luke chapter 3, this is, um, this is Jesus coming into this place uh, as an adult. This is when you see him entering in into his adult ministry as a 30-year-old man. We've, we've really not been privy to much of who he is until this moment. And then we see him showing up uh, to be baptized. And the heavens open and descend on him. This is my son, my beloved son. And I am well pleased in him. And then if we move a little bit further on to Luke 6, I'm, I'm going to turn there actually. Luke chapter 6. And I'm proving to you the community. I'm proving to you the belonging. So don't lose, uh, uh, and despite my, my flaws, please don't lose sense of the, of the theme here. Because to be saved by Jesus is to be woven deep into the fabric of one another. And this is critical and this is key to us understanding who we are and experiencing him in, in, in a reality. Because what happens when Jesus shows up uh, in Luke 6? This is where he comes on the scene really to, to preach. He'd been preaching a little bit in the churches. He'd been traveling around and he had, he had friends. He had a gathering, but he had not really said, here's my people. Here's my core group. He had not really, uh, at that time, designated the disciples. And he had certainly not preached really publicly, widely. And, and as you come in, and, and it's very common to, to know this sermon as, as the Beatitudes. And that's what you see in, in Luke chapter 6. Now, I'm going to catch us up in Luke 6, verse 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and he chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was also the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Paul's side note, uh, Judas, who became a traitor. I want you to see that Jesus chose the twelve very intentionally for us. He wants you to see that he surrounded himself with pretty much every little facet of character and personality that you're going to come in contact with, including the person who rejects you, including the person who betrays you, including the person that you said would never do that, even if that person turns out to be you. Jesus puts on the scene in his posse every personality and character, and they are a mess. They are crass and rude and probably cuts like a sailor coming off this mountain after watching Jesus pray. They don't even have a clue who they are yet. Or really fully who he is. And they've been living an extremely worldly life. And this is the gang. But I want you to picture this. Here's Jesus. And he's about to just kind of come into this place where he's going to say, it is finished. I'm here to do, I've done the work. 
(laughs) I'm here to liberate. I'm here to set free. I'm here to save. I'm here to restore. And he's been in prayer. No one really knows this a lot outside of his hometown. And you see him coming off the mountain by himself. No, surrounded with these guys. And then he sits down to teach and, and people begin to come. And more people begin to come and more people begin to come. So I'm just, I'm, I'm bringing that you, you in as, as Jesus is saying, new order, new government, new law, new sheriff in town. <laughs> All of you are with me. And he goes on. And if you, and if you're a believer and if you've been in the church, there is a strong possibility because I just got this like a few years ago and I've been in the church from birth, the womb. And I, and so if it's very possible that you have misunderstood the, the reading of the Beatitudes and the way that Jesus is reading it and maybe flip-flopped it around. Because for the majority of my life, I read the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mountain that, that this, was, this was what I could have one day. That Jesus is telling us that if you follow me, if you believe in me, you could have this one day wrong. Let me, let me show you what he is saying. Let me show you what he is saying. Starting in verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you. When they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day. And leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Now, I just want to again pause and say to you here, here's what he is saying. (laughs) So, So go to the end of the sentence and say that first in your mind. For yours is the kingdom of God. Now, so if you're poor, rock on. You have the power to laugh, to be joyful in the midst of the most horrific pain and suffering. Jesus is flipping the kingdom on its head and going, I will fulfill this. I, me, my sacrifice, my life. I will finish this work for you. I came for you to bring you in to the kingdom of God here and now. And when you believe in me, this is yours for the taking now. This is not something you have to wait for to receive. This is who you are. And when you believe that this is who you are, then you are blessed and you respond in that way. And the kingdom is yours. You belong to me. Because then he's going to go on to say some really hard things. He's going to go on to say to love your enemies. To do good to those who hate you. To bless those who curse you. To pray for those who abuse you. And and in those just few sentences of what he's saying, we're already going, because we know the vulnerability and the discomfort that that will draw on in us to do those things. How in the world are we going to be able to do this? Because we belong. 
Because we are in. Because we are sealed. Do you see what is happening? Do you see this movement? He's setting the church up to now be his ambassadors of a love that so fully satisfies and sustains that we are secure on our worst day. And the church to be the light in a dark world and say, this is for you. This is for you, sister. This is for you, friend. This is for you, mom. This is for you, child. This is for you, husband. Anybody in this room just crying out for the salvation of their man. Anybody in this room just crying out for the salvation of their children. And then finally, the image of God and the community of God is eternal. And I put, we couldn't shake it if we tried. John 14, 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Philippians 3. But our citizenship is in heaven Pay attention to that word citizenship. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Romans 1, 9 through 10. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Okay, this goes back again, just a side note. This goes back to the fact that all human beings have this God code, okay? Here's evidence for that truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. They are without excuse. And then perhaps one of my favorites, and I'm going to wrap up here, is Ecclesiastes 3.11. I love this verse because it says simply this, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to end. Okay, what, you know what said? I love this so much. We are made in the image of God. The actual image of God and his very character is by nature communal. And and the desire to be in community and to belong to one another and to belong to him is eternal. It is a part of who we are. It is an eternity that is set within our hearts. But not so much that we see the end scene. So we're in the middle of the story. And we're, we're setting up scenes in our life to be asking this question. And we're seeing over and over as we get older, somebody in their 50s, somebody in their 60s say amen, that humans will disappoint us. Over and over. And we will disappoint them. And we live in, in, in a world where humans are just set up to point us straight to the need. Of a savior. Oh how we need to be rescued. And he's in the business of always reminding us of that. And every friend that walks away. And every church leadership that disappoints us. And every parent. Who does not show up. And every spouse who walks away and betrays. In all the places of us that does the same to Jesus every day.
says, you cannot shake this endless need to know me and belong to me because I have said it in your hearts. Now, where we're going to end is where we're going to pick up in the morning. And we're going to be over with um, our first mom and dad, Adam and Eve, in Genesis chapter 3. Now, I'm going to read you the end of chapter 3, but tomorrow I'm going to bring you back to the beginning. And I'm going to explain to you and show you, which so many of you already know and can teach me, but we're going to walk through Genesis 3 so that we can see the human pattern of the tension in this and how we just make a mess of it. Because what I see to be true so much in the Christian life, and please hear me say this, as a Christian, your belonging in Jesus Christ is never compromised. As a believer in Jesus Christ, your position is sealed. I want you to look at me. When he says he finished the work, that means he finished the work. That means past, present, and future are done. So whatever you have done and whatever you will do cannot compromise who you are in him. And the glorious eternity of a transformed body that awaits you in heaven. That awaits you now on planet earth. You are capped. You are sealed. It is finished. He went all the way. Maybe that's all you're here to hear. I'm not typically that girl, but sometimes the spirit just overwhelms you with a word. And for someone here, he is saying that I went all the way. You don't need to do anything else. Because I went all the way. And if you do not believe that, and if you do not receive that, the cross is void in your life. To receive that and to believe that. But we know we miss it. And so here's what I was saying. Our position is not compromised. Our experience of the position can very much be compromised. Because there is hurt and there is wreckage and there is fear and there is shame and there is sin. And there are these patterns in our life of the most uh, uh, dysfunctional behaviors. They're so, so subtle sometimes. Like prejudiceness. They're so subtle sometimes, like materialism. They're so subtle sometimes, like religion. Because the things that we think are so good, we can do the things of God and completely miss God. I know this to be truth from experience. And so tomorrow um, is going to be a little heavy on the front end because I want us to deal with our stuff. That is really, really important to me. The word of God is convicting. It tells you that there are things in your life that still need to be restored, that still need to be healed, that still need to be rescued. There are parts of your life that God wants to speak into because you have not arrived in glory. And so the word of God, it brings those things to the surface. It is so, so painful sometimes. Because you were seeing the honesty of your heart on the pages of God's truth. 
But the interesting thing to me is we do not act very different than our very first mom and dad. And you can look back at the patterns of sinful man and you can see it coming out of the Garden of Eden. And you know that at the end of the story of Adam and Eve, what happens to them? They're, they're out. They've distrust the Lord. We're going to talk more about that. So let me, I'm going to read you the end. We're going to come back to this because I want to end on this. I want to leave a bit on a cliffhanger so that we come back tomorrow. I really want you to come back tomorrow. (laughs) Genesis three, starting in verse 22. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Now, we don't like to read that uh, very much, but here is the beauty in it. The beauty in it is that in this moment, in this moment, Adam and Eve have now entered paradise lost. And for the rest of humanity, every human being, including me and you, will be on a mission to get back there. Adam and Eve have tasted perfection. They have tasted the fruit of the Garden of Eden. They have lived in an unashamed body, naked and unafraid. In the most vulnerable and honest space with their creator. And it is gone. And it was home. And they know that it exists. Because there is eternity written into them. They know that there is something more that's got to be in this life. And it is the case for every human. We know that something more exists. We know there is a home awaiting us. We know that we do not belong here. There's got to be more. There's got to be something greater than the whole of our thoughts at the end of this day and our actions and other people and relationships. There's got to be something more. And we have Eden written into our heart. We have the very experience of Eden and the promise that is to come that was written into the core of our very being and it is crying out to us and it is calling out to us and we are saying, I want to get back there. But there is a fear. There's a fear that that can paralyze so many of us. There is a fear In relationships mostly where we begin to go ahead and and cancel that out and say that's not for us and we don't really belong and maybe we're not chosen and, and maybe that's not for me and maybe I shouldn't walk out in that calling and maybe he really doesn't love me and maybe I'm just not that girl. And so we do a really good job of compromising what is true of us. And I want to talk about that in a very real way tomorrow. And I'm going to let you into the way that I have done that. The way that Adam and Eve show us. I I followed the exact same pattern that they did. You, whatever conflict or tension you have in your life right now. Whatever broken relationships you have in your life right now. Whatever addictions you have in your life right now. Whatever fear, whatever shame you're wrestling with. Whatever depression, whatever complacency. It comes through this exact same pattern. And I'm going to show you exactly what that is tomorrow.